We are nearing an end of a series I've really enjoyed, and I hope you have. It's kind of one of those things with preachers. If if we're enjoying it, we just keep going. (laughs) Hope you're still enjoying it too. We've been looking into the life of Daniel under the under the general topic, living a God-directed life. We're going to be touching on that theme throughout 2016. What does it mean to be a follower of God? What does it mean to lead a God-directed life? In a place where we understand the covering of His grace at all times for all things, what does it mean to align myself and follow after Him? How does God go forth in Scripture to demonstrate this process. It's, it's, to me, the meaning of Scripture. Over and over again in Scripture, what you're seeing is people who are trying to follow God, some successfully, some unsuccessfully, some in good times, some in hard times, but that's what you're seeing again and again and again is people trying to align themselves with, with what it means to follow God. And in Daniel, you have a particularly good example. In Daniel, we have a man who has suffered a great deal. And this is one of the things that throws us off because we think, oh, the God-directed life, it's a skate. No problem. No sweat. If I start following after God, I will never have another problem for the rest of my life. Is that true, folks? Those of you who've been in this process for a while know that it's not true. There's lots of ups and downs in in the life that of a person who's following after God. In fact, Satan makes it a part of his duty to make your life as tough as he can make it, and God makes it a part of his duty to try to keep that from happening. And so you're in this you're caught in this tug of war between two supernatural powers. Today we actually get a chance to look at that tug of war. Today we get to see the personal side and the personal impact of these kinds of things, of things that are going on behind the scenes, beyond our understanding, beyond our control. And God's going to pull back the curtain just a little bit to let Daniel see some of what's going on. Remember, he's been through a siege when he was in his teens. His home, his city was taken by another government, by another country. An army marched in and took over everything. They picked him, lucky him, to be hauled off to a foreign country as a captive, made him into a eunuch, made him become a, a, uh, a leader within a kingdom that was now destroying his personal, his home and his family's home, made him become a, a, a servant of a king who was sending armies to Jerusalem, made him follow this, and yet he remains loyal to that king and loyal to the service of God throughout all of it. Fifty years into that ministry, that service to that king, to to that foreign government, he starts hearing from God. He'd heard from God an explanation to what was going on with the kings before, but now he starts hearing personally from God, and he starts hearing about what's coming. Back in chapter 2, at the beginning of his life, he'd been seeing this sort of panoramic scope of things to come in the future. Amazing, amazing prophecy from chapter 2 that covers Daniel's time to the end of time, and it it is accurate up to the moment where we live in now. Chapter 7 picks up that same theme, gives him this big, broad scope, but introduces a new character who starts to give Daniel a little stress, and he's troubled when chapter 7 ends. Chapter 8 focuses in on this character and makes it the main theme of, the prof, of this, this text. And in chapter 8, Daniel, when he finishes his, this revelation from God, is, is not just troubled, he's sick for days. Chapter 9 then zooms in on Daniel and his family, his, his, his church family, Israel, and it specifically says, Daniel, there's a, there's a piece of this bigger thing that's about you guys. 
All the rest of this isn't really about you guys, but these 490 years, this is about you guys in chapter 9. And he says, look, there's, there's an opportunity here for Israel to redeem its mission. In these next 500 years, here's what you have to do. You have to come to the point basically where you accept the, the Messiah and follow him. Anoint the most holy. And by the way, the Messiah that will, will be cut off in the midst of the last, year, last week. And Daniel's probably blown away by how could the Messiah be possibly be cut off. We get to chapter 10, and chapter 10 wakes, awakens Daniel to another trouble. And as we start chapter 10, I just want you to read verse 21. No one upholds me against these, except Michael, who's prince? Your prince. As we begin to unfold this piece, I want you to remember the statement from Gabriel to Daniel, no one upholds me in these conflicts except Michael, your prince. All right? What you see on the surface is not the whole story. That's a big part of what's going on here. You've probably heard you should be like a duck. Be calm and cool and collected and beautiful on the surface. While below the water, you're paddling like crazy. That's Daniel. That's the story of the walk with God. On the surface, you see certain kinds of things passing by, but underneath there's a whole story going on that no one really sees much of. That's the, the, the greater spiritual story that's underlying the, the, this part of Daniel. After all the trauma, Daniel gets this final answer. A hard 70 years have passed. We're now at the end of that captivity period that was promised to Israel. We're now reaching the end of that period. A hard 70 years has passed. And recognize the word hard. It was hard to be in exile. It was hard to be in the service of the king, and particularly in Daniel's service. It was hard to, to stand there in front of a king who at any moment could just decide because he had a bad pizza, you die. It was, there was difficulty in Daniel's life. There were blessings in Daniel's life as well. But being in exile for 70 years was not his plan. It wasn't his life plan. You know, when he was there as a junior in high school at 17, and he was thinking about what he was going to do next year, what he was going to do after he graduated, what was going to happen to him, who, who he was going to marry, who he was going to serve, how he was going to live out his life, this wasn't part of the discussion. Some of you are, are reaching your 70 hard years. Some of you said, yeah, when I was in high school, I, I understand because I had other plans than this one. Have you ever heard the, the, the old song, the class of 57 had its dreams? Raise your hand if you have. Come on, put it up where I can see it. Okay, the six of us understand. Go look it up on YouTube. The whole point of this song is that this graduating class of 1957, they had all these dreams and all these plans. And the song is what actually happened. The class of 57 had its dreams. Eh, they didn't all come out. That's what most of our lives look like. Most of us, in some way or another, are on Daniel's plan. Most of us, in some way or another, have been through some hard times. We expected this. We had hoped for that. We had planned for another thing. And here we are. Now, if you're 16 or 17 or 18... I really don't want to discourage you, but I would like to enlighten you. God is still on his throne, and it's not going to turn out the way you expected. 
for a lot of you, it's going to be better. And for some of you, it's going to be harder. But God is still on his throne. Michael, your prince, will see you through even these. It's been a tough 70 years. In the last 15, the prophetic voice of God has been, a, been less than satisfying. Now he gets to look behind the scenes. It's the third year of Cyrus, this guy. This is a, a modern sort of adaptation of an ancient, ancient uh, um, relief, bas relief of Cyrus. So this is, as best we can tell, the actual guy. Now, whether or not when they did this relief of him, they, you know, they straightened out his nose or made him look stronger or bigger, I don't know. Maybe his beard was scraggly. There's no way of knowing. But this is the actual head that's on that bas relief. So as best we know, that's Cyrus. It's the third year of Cyrus the Great's reign. Cyrus the Great's getting a lot of pub now on the Internet. Um, the Iranian government is putting out comments about Cyrus the Great, kind of weighing him up against Alexander the Great and some of these others that, you know, that are in history. They're kind of trying to raise his credibility among his peers. And he was a, a, a tremendously gifted warrior and, and conquered masses amount, massive amounts of territory. It's the third year of his reign. We know a couple of things are happening now. We know some things have changed. But what's most important, we know we're coming to the end of the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied that Israel would be imprisoned, exiled in, in uh, Babylon. It's coming to a close. Cyrus, in his first year, made an edict that those who wanted to go home could go home. Zerubbabel, the priest, gathers up some people, as many as who would go with him, and 42,000 people head back for Israel, head back to Jerusalem, head back home. Far less than a majority of the people who are in exile go home. Now understand that about this situation. Far less than a majority of the people who are in exile actually go home, actually want to go home. They like it where they are. They've gotten accustomed to things where they are. They understand where they are. They understand the situation where they live. And, and up until the, the, the real persecution of the Muslim era, there were massive Jewish uh, enclaves in Persia. Large numbers of Jewish people still living there. And the influence of those people may be what we see in the first century when some wise men from the east come back to Bethlehem looking for a king who was to come. The influence of Daniel, the influence of those who stayed behind. This is the, th these people who stayed behind are not infidels, are not people who are not following after God. They're not people who have rejected God's call. The people who have stayed behind, some of them are very, very faithful. Remember, this is where a certain young woman is picked to be queen from among that group. And we've seen the, 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 the spiritual connectedness of that family waiting on the word of God for such a time as this. But it's the third year of Cyrus, and some people have gone home. Cyrus takes Babylon, 538, 539, the edict to return to the exiles. Zerubbabel gathers 42,000. In the third year of Cyrus, 535, 536. Now, Daniel was captured in 605. Quick, do the math. What's 535? Seventy years later. Get it? So the, com the end of this exile period is happening in the third year of Cyrus. And Daniel begins a vision that goes from chapter 10 all the way through chapter 12 at the end. We're going to go chapter 10, and we're going to skip chapter 11, and we're going to go to chapter 12. You know why? Chapter 11 is a long, complicated, roaming sort of prophecy that it would take more than a day to cover. We, I promise, when we do the, these prophecies in Scripture, I think we're actually going to bring a guest speaker in to talk about chapter 11 because... This particular chapter has some interesting things that people are uncovering in recent years. 
But I promise we will, we will cover it. We're just not going to cover it now. You're going to get one verse out of chapter 11, and then I'm skipping it. All right? I didn't, I didn't have time for all 12 chapters. This is the one I chose to skip. Okay? So Daniel's vision begins in chapter 10, goes all the way through the end of chapter 12. It's in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. A message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was, was long, and he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Now, what, is, what does it say? He, does he understand this vision? Does he understand this message? So has he got it so far? So before this, he keeps having parts of the messages he doesn't understand. Now, right from the beginning, he said, I understood all of this. Now, we read chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. We go, oh, we get this. Daniel didn't get it, but we get it. We read chapter 11 and go, ah, Daniel got it, but uh, we're not sure we get it. So, you know. In verses 2 and 3, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. How long was he mourning? How many days is that? 21. So three full weeks. It's an interesting statement because the full week ends on Sabbath. And there's, this, there's an implication here that what he's talking about is Sabbatarian cycles. First day of the week to the seventh day of the week, first day of the week to the seventh day of the week, first day of the week to the seventh day of the week. <clears throat> it's not certain but it seems in the Hebrew that that may be what he's talking about, which would make men that this, mean that this uh, vision we're about to see took place on Sabbath. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he's in a sort of fasting and prayer mode. He's not just in, in prayer. He's in sort of a fasting and prayer. You know there are different kinds of fasts, right? You don't have to just fast from eating altogether. You can fast from certain things. I've heard people say they fat, they're fasting for, from chocolate. <clears throat> you have to be kind of a chocoholic to, to make this make an impact. They're just going to fast from chocolate. If you're used to eating chocolate every day and you say, okay, for the next month, I'm going to fast from chocolate, fast and pray. Okay, good. If that's going to make an impact. The reason you fast is so that you're reminded of your commitment, reminded of your prayer decisions. If you're fasting from bread in my household, that would make an impact. Because we're big bread lovers in our house. If you said, okay, we're fasting from bread for the next two weeks. In our house, that would make an impact. That would make an impact on my prayer life. I would be reminded every day that I was fasting from bread, that why I was fasting from bread. Some people fast from all food. There are occasional places where people are fasting from food and water. That's not a long fast. You have to be really careful with that one. That's not one you just dive into. But if you have chosen to set aside some time for a specific prayer time, it's a good thing to add fasting to it. It's a good spiritual discipline for you to add fasting to a concentrated time of prayer over some, some major issue. That's what Daniel's doing. He's fasting from what seem to be the pleasantries of life. He's fasting from the, the no pleasant food. He's not eating the food. I don't know what that means. You know, did he go back to beans and rice? Maybe. I don't know. What pleasantries? He was no longer eating cake or chocolate? I don't know. There was some pleasant foods. He was putting aside the pleasant foods. He's not eating meat, not drinking wine. He's not, he's not putting any oil on himself. Now, remember what a dry place these people live in. So one of the things that they would do daily was they would take perfumed olive oil and they would rub it on their face and on their head and on their hands. What are they doing? moisturizing. See, you thought you learned something in the 20th century. No, they've been doing it for centuries and centuries. They would rub a perfumed kind of olive oil onto themselves to keep themselves moist in this dry climate that would just 
cause them to crackle if it didn't. Okay? Maybe they're moisturizing their heels too, ladies. I know that's a big deal, giving your heels soft. <laughs> Whatever they're doing, he's not doing it for these three weeks. What's going on that's causing him to do this? This is uh, Cyrus's son, Cannabis. So that's what I read when I first saw his name. Cambyses. This is Cyrus's son, Cambyses. Some people say Cambyses, whatever. You, you decide how you want to say it. This is Cyrus's son. When Cyrus came to the throne, one of the things he did was make this guy, his son, the prince, co-regent. Remember, we talked about co-regency before. It means that he's going to be king alongside of him. Same kinds of authority. We think probably because, or I think probably because uh, Cyrus was a warrior king. He liked going out to fight. He liked to be out there leading his army somewhere. And shortly after he conquers Babylon, he disappears. He goes off to spread the, the, uh, the Persian Empire further. And so this guy's left in charge. Cyrus had been pro-Israel. He's the one who sends them back home with the, with the authorization to build their temple. He's pro, actually, the groups of people that are captive by Nebuchadnezzar and by the Babylonians going home, resetting up their temples. Here's why. Okay, we would like you to go home, set up your temple, and pray for me. Okay? So he's saying to the people, go home, take care of it, worship your God, set up your temple, don't forget to pray for me. So he's covering his bases. I don't know which one of these gods is the real God. So you go home, pray to your God for me. You go home, pray to your God for me. You go home. And there, he sends them all back home to pray for him. Seems like a reasonable thing, actually. He is very much in favor that his son is a committed Zoroastrian. Zoroastrians worship a monotheistic style religion. They worship a God who is the creator. They expect a messianic kind of figure. So it's not unlike Judaism altogether. But his son is a committed Zoroastrian, and he doesn't like all these foreign gods out there getting prayer time. In fact, when he goes off campaigning in Egypt, he starts destroying Egyptian temples because he doesn't like these guys out there praying to other gods. So he and his sort of approach to this thing changes. He's no longer somebody in favor of these people going home and taking care of their, uh, their temple. So catch this part. Now, we're going to throw some pieces in here from other places in the Bible to fill in some gaps. Ezra chapter 4 is parallel with this portion of Daniel. Okay, The, the explanation in Ezra chapter 4 is parallel with this portion of Daniel. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. What are they doing? Trying to discourage them. The people of Judah are trying to build the temple. These guys are trying to discourage them. Now, have, have you read this portion of Ezra? Right before this... The Samaritans, that's these people, they come to the people of Israel and they say, we've been worshiping your God since Ashurbanipal. So this is like 200 years ago, sent us here from, from uh, Assyria. So the Assyrians moved a bunch of people in there and they said, we worship the God of this land. It was common when you went to a new land, you worship the God of that land because he was in charge of stuff around here. Okay. We've been worshiping your God and making sacrifices to him for 200 years. Let us help you rebuild the temple. Ezra records that the response from Zerubbabel and those sent to rebuild the temple was less than favorable. They basically say, no way, no how, get out of here. 
We're not letting you do this. And there's questions about why they may have felt like if they let these people who were only partially following God, they were kind of mixed multitude, they were worshiping Canaanite gods and they're worshiping their God. They might be in the same place they were in before. They might be in the same mess they were in before. If They let them come in and help. So they said, go away. We don't want your help. They then start trying to frustrate their plans. They troubled them in the building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Now stop for a second. When you hire a counselor, what are you hiring? Counselor? Counselor? Approach the bench. What are you hiring? You're hiring a lawyer. You're hiring an attorney. You're hiring a representative from you, right? Where would they be sending a counselor? Back to headquarters. Back to the Persian government. Back to our guy, Cambyses. They're sending him back to him to try to get him to stop the building of the temple. Is he favorable or unfavorable to that idea? He's unfavorable to the building of the temple. And so look at what happens. They trouble them about the building, hired councils against them to frustrate their purposes. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, which would last till 530. He dies in a battle up north in 530. Even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. Cambyses now takes the throne and he's on till 522. So they effectively stopped the building of the temple for a couple of decades. All right? What is Daniel bummed about? He's heard what's going on at home. They've reinstituted the sacrifices. They built, a, built an altar. The daily is now happening, but the temple's not being rebuilt. And he's frustrated and he's concerned. And he's praying about that. And there he is serving the king who's preventing this from happening. He's serving in the government of the king who's preventing the temple from being built. Do you catch how this is probably a, a real difficult situation for him? I just I, I want to make clear that Daniel's dealing with stressful situations in his day-to-day life. The reason I want to make that clear is because you're dealing with stressful situations in your day-to-day life. And you're appealing to God about those things. God, can you set this thing right? And you want him to step in, sweep aside the problem, and get you back on the track you wanted to be on, right? You want him just to ride in on a white horse, clear things up, and send you on your way. And your prayers are frustrating sometimes because he doesn't do that. you got a whole plan for him and what he's going to do, and he doesn't show up and do what you planned. That's the deal with Daniel. Daniel has once again come back to God saying, Look, can you see what's happening over there? We're not, they're not able to build the temple because this punk Persian king won't let them. Maybe he didn't say punk Persian king, but it has such a nice ring to it. You won't forget it. Cyrus dies in 530. Cambyses becomes king until 522. Darius, Cambyses' lance bearer. When the guy who carries your sword becomes the king, there's a little question about what happened there. There's a whole historical misunderstanding of what happened to him. Well, somebody says that he, he was getting on his horse and his lance stabbed him in the leg. It, it got sick, or he got sick, it got gangrene, he died. Another person says that he was climbing onto something and a stick stabbed him in the leg. It got gangrene and he died. Another person says that he just killed himself. He fell on his lance and died. Whatever happens, his lance bearer becomes king. 
Darius becomes king, he is actually favorable once again to Israel and allows the temple work to go forward. This is the context that Daniel's finding himself in. The temple remains incomplete. A new king stands in Babylon resisting its, its construction. It's the third year of Cyrus. The 70 years are ended. Daniel sees the conflict over the temple. Daniel has had visions of conflict in Israel, right? Seven, eight, nine have been visions about conflict in Israel. And Daniel prays and fasts for 21 days. All that, first two verses, three verses. Okay? But I want you to understand the context. These prayers, these texts are not just in the ether. There's a historical context that makes them make sense. So understand that background as we weigh in here. Moses' prediction has to be part of this. Both Jeremiah and Moses make this statement. Moses says, when you're in exile, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah says the same thing. Remember, Jeremiah 29, 11 is what we all quote, but 13 and 14 are where he, Jeremiah says this exact thing. You will seek for him, and you will find him when you seek for him with all your heart. Daniel is spending 21 days fasting and praying while he is in exile fulfilling exactly what Moses had prophesied, seeking an answer from God. Come on, you said that if I sought you with all my heart, you would answer. I would find you. So I'm, I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm trying. Come on, give me an answer. 21 days. Anybody ever fasted that long? No, no. I have known a few people back when back in the 70s, when I first became an Adventist. um, Part of the 70s, I was part of the 70s. I wasn't. There were some people who were practicing fasting and there were some people in our church who were doing these long fasts and 21 days was one of the fasts that people did. It was a this three week fast and prayer time. I thought, man, that's pretty interesting and pretty amazing. And I have never made it that long. 21 days is a long time. On the 24th of Nisan, God reveals himself to Daniel. He's been playing, praying for 21 days. So what day did he start? Do the math. Started at the beginning, counted up to the 24th, then God shows up. I lifted my eyes and I looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was, gu- was girded with gold of Uphaz. That, this is an interesting statement. This Uphaz or Uphaz gold, uh, it's, it's pure. This, this, this description is a gold that's extremely pure. So that place apparently has really pure gold. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like torches of fire. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze in color. The sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Have you ever seen this guy before in Scripture? This is the guy you see in Ezekiel. This is the guy you see in Revelation. This is Jesus appearing to him. God is showing up and his eyes are like fire. His skin is like burnished, burnished bronze. He's bright. He's, co- he's, he's wrapped around with linen and gold. This looks almost exactly like the one you see in the beginning of Revelation when Jesus is moving among the candlesticks with this same kind of clothing, the same kind of skin, the same kind of intense light coming out of him. He sees God. Daniel says, I need an answer from you about what's going on here. I need an answer about what's going on with the temple. And God shows up. Here I am. He doesn't say anything. He just shows up. Do you get it? 
If you get it, we can quit. All right. Janae didn't get it. I'm going to keep going. God shows up physically and literally to him. God shows up. He says, God, I need an answer. I need to know what's going on with this. I need to know what you should do. I I would like you to get Jerusalem rebuilt. Come on. Before I die, I'd love to see Jerusalem rebuilt. Come on, God. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy now. I don't have time to be waiting on this. Come on. And the only answer he sees is Jesus. Jesus shows up. And he says not a word. Daniel collapses. He falls on the ground. He's unable to get up. It takes an angel coming and lifting him up. Then he can't talk. He's just dumbfounded. It takes an angel touching him to get him to be able to speak. And the angel says, do not fear. You just saw an image that knocked you to the ground so hard you can't even get back up. And the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. The Bible describes Daniel as trembling in fear. He's freaked out completely. He has no strength left. He can't even speak. Do not fear. It'll be okay. Do not fear, Daniel. For the first, from the first day you set your heart to understand, to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard, and, all have, and I have come because of your words. From the very first day you started praying, we listened. And I've come because of your words. Is that good news for a person who's praying? Yeah, God hears your words when you pray. So, what's the next question? What took you so long? I've been praying for three weeks about this one thing, praying and fasting. I wasn't going to hold out on that fast much longer, God. Come on, what took you so long? Well, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. You know this picture I get here? Kim, hold up your hand. Here's what I get. He's working and working and working on the king of Persia. He's getting nowhere. Michael goes, I got this. He's tagged out. You go take care of Daniel. I got him. Michael came and relieved me. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Who's he dealing with? Cambyses. What's he doing? Trying to influence his decision making. What's the king of Persia doing? Saying no. You get that. You understand you could be praying and some hard head in your world could be messing it up. See, we have to really work on converting the people around us because they're messing our prayers life up. There's not. (laughs) Do you realize what this says? Do you realize what this little passage says? It says, you've been praying for 21 days and I've been held up trying to come and answer your prayers. Why? Because the king of Persia has been holding me up. He's been keeping me from coming to see you because I've been trying to get him to do something really important. Trying to get him to ease up the pressure on the people of Israel. People have actually tried to make this king of Persia out to be the devil himself. I don't think that's the case. I I, I don't. Because 
if free will is free will, you and I can resist God, and we have. You know you have. I know I have. I have resisted the call of God to do things over and over and over again in my life. And you have too. The pressure from the Spirit begins to weigh in on you, and you go yes or you go no. But whatever you say, that's where you are. God does not force you to do stuff. This is the sovereignty of God versus the sanctity of free choice. This is the all-power sovereign God who can make whatever he wants happen if he wants to. And I've asked him to do that. I have said, God, can you just force him to? Can you just do this? Just make this happen. Lord, can you interfere? Can you step into this and make this happen? And he says, no, 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 you've got to understand there's a sovereignty and a sanctity of free will issue here. Yeah, I have all the authority and power of heaven and earth. I can do anything I want, but there's a sanctity of free choice issue here. I hold the value of human beings' free choice so highly that I will not interfere with it. The sovereignty of God, His authority, His might, and His power, and the sanctity of free choice. Free choice is so valuable to God that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have it. 21 days this, this punk Persian king resisted God. 21 days he prevented the will of God from happening. And as best I can tell, he held out. He held out till 522 when he died. Whether it was a miserable death from an infection in his leg or falling on his sword or being killed by his lance bearer, I don't know. But the poor guy resisted God right to the end. And that's a pretty hard thing to do and a pretty tough ending. If you find yourself on that side of the equation this morning, stop it. If you've been feeling the call of God on your heart and your life to surrender to him for a day, a week, or a generation, stop it. He's not in this to cause you harm. He's not in this to do anything negative to you. He's in this to get you home. Stop resisting. The blessings of God are on the other side of that decision. Choose today before you leave to accept his will, not your own. Either God tyrannically pre-plans the destruction of innocent children at the hands of evil men Or he allows free choice. And men can and do resist him. I think those are the only two camps we have. There's a whole bunch of Christianity, and I think for a lot of us it's even in our own minds. A whole bunch of Christianity who says things. I want pay attention to this next word. If you if you're lost in your iPad, look up for a minute. 
when we say to someone whose child or family member, mother, grandpa, whatever, when we say of their death, oh, it was God's will, we're, we're teaching this. Someone's child gets hurt. And we say, oh, it was God's will. No, it wasn't. The Bible tells us what God's will was. God's will was that we would live in a perfect world without sorrow, suffering, pain, or death for eternity. That was the plan. That is God's will. That is the plan. That is what we return to in the end. It is so culturally common for us to use those words, we don't even think about the implications of them. We do it all the time as something to say in those difficult situations. Oh, well, you know, it was God's will. You know, I hate, I hate, I hate the little poem that's in the back of those, those little things they hand out at funerals. Oh, God needed another angel. Baloney. First of all, people aren't angels. Different kind of being. And second of all, God doesn't go around killing people to fill quotas in heaven. Come on. This is what we've been teaching. Is it any wonder that the world hates God? We were telling them that there's a tyrant up in heaven, killing off people willy-nilly. Why? Oh, he's collecting them for heaven. Or worse, he doesn't like them. Some of you are going to be saved, some of you are not. God knows who cares. You're out. That's a tyrant. Some of us have let this theory creep into us. Under raising the value of the sovereignty of God. We've we've begun to believe that this is true. It's just not. We know what the will of God is. It's right there in the first chapters of Genesis and the last chapters of Revelation. What is his will? That you live a life for eternity without suffering, sorrow, pain, or death. Don't let this creep into your language. When something horrible happens to someone, hold them. And if you can't think of anything to say, don't say anything. Stand beside them, weep with them, hold their hand, pray with them, but don't make excuses for God. Yes, God is sovereign, but God is not manipulative. If we learn anything from these 21 days that Daniel's praying, we learn that God is not manipulative. If we learn anything from the fact that this punk Persian king keeps Jerusalem's temple from being built in spite of the prayers of the saints, we learn that God doesn't manipulate people. How you weigh the influence of God against manipulation, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it and how you deal with it. But it is clear from this passage that God is not forcing this king to do something. The king is resisting almighty God. This punk Persian king is resisting God.
The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Daniel's a mess. No strength remains in him. His hand, the hand touched me and which made me tremble on my knees and my palms. So he's on his hands and knees shaking. I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. He said to me, do you know why I have come? I love this question. Here's Daniel. Daniel, do you know why I've come? Um, 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 um. That's normal human reaction, I think. Do you know why I've come? Daniel, do you have any idea what I'm doing here? Do you know why I've come to you? I must return to fight the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. The princes of Greece will come. He said, it's going to keep happening. Persians, Greeks, etc. In the next chapter, he starts going through the whole list. This one, then this one, then this one, then this one. A pretty good historical, uh, accurate picture as far as we understand that first several uh, verses. But I will tell you, what is noted where? Where's the angel getting his source material to fill in the gaps for Daniel? In your Bible. Your Bible. An angel filling in the gaps for Daniel from your Bible. I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Gabriel's saying, when I have to deal with these resistant Persian punk kings, when I have to deal with all that's going on behind the scenes, when I am fighting on your behalf, you know who upholds me? You know who upholds me, Gabriel, the highest ranking of all the angels in heaven? You know who upholds me when I have to go up against sin, when I have to go up against tyrants, when I have to go up against problems? You know who upholds me, Daniel? Michael, your prince. You know who upholds me, Daniel, when I'm in trouble? Michael does. Michael upholds me. I haven't sinned. I'm not fallen. I'm not, I'm not bearing the weight of my guilt. But I'm telling you right now, even in my case, when I'm dealing with the struggles I have to deal with on this armpit of the universe where you live, when I'm dealing with this place, your planet, sin and all of its conflicts, I go to Michael. He holds me up. He's the one who helps me. And oh, by the way, do you remember back in the first year of Darius the Mede? You remember, you remember what happened to you? You remember when you were thrown in the lion's den? You remember, Daniel, it was back in the first year of Darius the Mede. The, the Mede. You were thrown in the lion's den. You know who was working behind the scenes for you even then? Me. Daniel, you want to know who, who was shutting the, li- the mouths of the lions? Daniel, you know who was doing that? Gabriel, me, I was, I was sent by God to take care of you. He says, Daniel, you've, you've a couple of things here. Do you need to know about this? The answers that you're seeking aren't found in a historical record or a prophecy. They're not found in a chart that explains all the things that are coming up. They're not going to be found there. You know what the answer you're really looking for? It's that vision you saw at the beginning. It's Michael. It's Michael, your prince. He's the real answer you're looking for. 
He's the only answer we really have here. He's the answer for you. He's the answer for me. And and, and, I, and you remember your experience. You remember what happened when you were thrown in the lion's den and, and you were scared that you were going to die. And even the prince of the Persians, even, even Darius the Mede was praying for you. He was saying, I hope you'll be okay. God, your, your God will take care of you even though you're being thrown in the lion's den. He stayed up all night worrying about and praying for you. You know who was in there answering his prayer? Me. Why? Because Michael cares about you. The curtain is pulled back for us. It's pulled back for Daniel, but it's as surely pulled back for us. We are in the midst of a contest that's far, far bigger than we are. It's far beyond our even understanding. And he pulls back the curtain. He says, Daniel, you've been worried about so much. You've been worried about all these historical prophecies and what's going on with Israel here and what's going on with Jerusalem there and what's going on with the daily there. Look, buddy, it's, it's okay. Michael's in charge of this. Michael, whose name means the one like God. The answer to your problem is one who's like God. The answer to your problem is Michael. The answer to your worries are Michael. He, he's, he's even the one who helps the angels when we need help. He's the one who sends us to help you. See behind the curtain here, Daniel. There's, there's a lot going on below the surface of what you can see. And what's really going on is Michael is watching over you. And he's sending help. And he's sending help. And he's sending help. And yeah, other people will cause conflict for you and resist what I'm trying to do for you and resist what we're doing for your people. And that's just a fact. There will be governments and leaders who will do all kinds of horrendous things. Don't be confused about how that's happening. They're resisting what we're trying to do. But don't be confused about being on your own either. Because if, if you learn anything from this, learn that you're not alone. No matter what you face. Michael's the answer and he's sending help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this man of God. His faith is, is impressive. The honesty in this book is so helpful. Thank you that he trembles at your presence. That he worries about his friends and his family. That he's concerned about his nation and the rulers that are involved in it. Thank you that his prayers don't always get answered the way he wants. Thank you for the reminder he is to all of us. Help us to trust you like this. To be certain 